0: Best Bible reading today is chapter one of the book of Haggai, and it's on page six hundred and sixty-seven of the pew Bibles. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and to Joshua son of Jehoshadak the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much. But have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to, put, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You, you expected much. But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy in his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labour of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius.
1: Second reading is from chapter 10 of Mark, verses 17 to 31, which is on page 716 of the few Bibles. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
2: be to God. Let, my, let me add my welcome. It's great to have you amongst us, especially if you're new or visiting. Uh, Well, if you could turn back to the more obscure of those two readings, the the less well-known one, the one from Haggai chapter one that Tam brought to us would be a great help. We're going to look closely at that this week and we're going to look at chapter two in two weeks time because next week we've got our uh, global mission focus week. We've got uh, uh, one of our link missionaries, the pals are returning again to be amongst us. I'd invite you to uh, both make the most of next Sunday, but also stay around after morning tea. There'll be more opportunity to hear from Morgan and Anna uh, and to be able to pray for them better. Uh, before I pray, though, the other thing I was remiss last week, we had the excitement of our latest member joining us, but I was busy with farewelling uh, people who were leaving to, uh, to draw attention to it. Matthew Dunn, Matthew Kerry Dunn, arrived safely last week. Um, he's now eight days, no, how many days then? 14, that's right. I've got added extra week. 14 days old and doing well. Um, that's cause for us to give thanks. Uh, and so let's thank God for Matthew's safe arrival as well as pray that God would speak to us. Uh, Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you're a gracious giver of life. We thank you for uh, the gift of Matthew to the Duns and to our church family. Uh, Father, we pray for him and uphold him now and ask that he would know every day of his life, your love for him and care of him. Uh, Father, we pray that you would be at work in him by your spirit uh, and so too may that same spirit be alive and at work in our hearts and minds that as we look at your word, that you would transform us by it that we would live lives that please and honour you in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Earlier this week I was in a conversation that uh, gradually moved on to the topic of integrity. Uh, and I asked the guy, it seemed appropriate, uh, asked the guy I was chatting with directly, whether his life was one of integrity. Now, he'd never considered that question. Uh, as the chat went on it was clear that in the flurry of routine and the busyness of life, he would never stopped to consider really much of his life. I don't think he's particularly unusual. I'm not singling him out for being strange. I think he's fairly normal. You know, we, we all agree with Socrates that you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. It's the kind of thing you put on the bottom of a desk calendar and think, yes, that's right. Uh, and yet so many Sydney siders are you know, consumed with busyness, that cycle of work and sleep and then a weekend to recharge and do it all again that we don't stop to think. Haggai gives us a chance to break that pattern. He invites us to consider living. He invites us to, to consider what priorities we have, to, to, to consider what priority we give to the Lord's work, to building the Lord's house. Uh, the, the book, Haggai, you can see in front of you, it's only two chapters long, it's fairly short. It's a collection of four messages uh, given from God between August to December, four months, in 520 B.C. And his repeated invitation to God's people is that they might be considerate of their ways. Uh, 1 verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Uh, again, 1 verse 7, give careful thought to your ways. Uh, we'll get to chapter 2 eventually in verse 15, verse 17, it's again, that saying, give careful thought, consider your ways. Uh, The tone of that is is both it's an invitation to stop and be be a little self-reflective, but but there's an implication in there as well that perhaps you need to change. Perhaps there's something that needs to be done a little differently. Consider your ways, says Haggai to the people of God. He says it then, he says it now. As we do this morning, one main point. Consider your ways and prioritise the Lord's house. Prioritise the Lord's house. So, so Haggai comes and he's preaching in this, this period of, of crisis to people with mixed priorities or mixed up priorities. Uh, it's 520 BC. Uh, it's only been a, a number of years, I suppose, since uh, the people of Israel returned from 70 years in exile. They'd come out of that kind of hardship. Uh, but the crisis they felt was of disappointment. You know, they'd returned from Babylon a little excited uh, expecting the words of Isaiah thirty-five that you know that the desert would bloom into flower and get, great it's going to be fantastic when we get that but what they found is drought and famine. So in verse six and seven one six and seven Haggai highlights the problem. Um, they're working they're working hard but it's for little reward. Uh, everything they turn to is disappointment. You know they're filling their purses only to have the wallet kind of crack open and the cash spill out. And so on the first day of uh, what was a harvest festival, when all the the kind of farmers would come in uh, and gather before they did the hard work, Haggai challenged them, consider why. He challenges their misplaced priorities. So uh, 1 verse 2, it's most clear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Uh, These people say that the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be rebuilt. And then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? They've been claiming it's just not time at the moment to worry about God's household, the the temple. The the temple uh, in those days was meant to be God's glory. Uh, In all the world, God placed his unique presence only there. You know, it was the place where, where his people could meet with him. It was the place where other nations could look in and go, what a great God, I'd really love to worship him and know him and, and connect with him. And, and the house of the Lord should have been their pride. It was what made them special, and, you know, and yet their glory lay in ruins. You know, in judgment over repeated sin, God had, had taken his presence away 70 years earlier and, and the temple had been laid waste. Yeah, and, and some work, some fixing up had begun Maybe maybe a decade or two earlier, uh, about 20 years before, but for the last 16 years, when Haggai gets up to preach, uh, nothing's really happened. It's not time to build the Lord's house, they're saying. It's, it's just not particularly a good moment. You know? And reading on in Haggai 1, we see why. It's not time because they're too busy with their own houses. Uh, 1 verse 4 is particularly damning, uh, literally it reads, is it time for you, you I say, there's a particularly accusatory tone of the repetition of you, you know, is it time for you to dwell in your panelled house? It's, it's emphatic and accusing him, you know, they've had time to panel their houses, that is, they've got the luxurious finishing touches on, all the while God's house remains a run-down run kind of renovator's delight. Give careful thought, says the Lord in verse 5. You know, as you sit there in your renovated place, in in your lounge room, breathing in that new coat of paint, Israel, will you think about why your endless efforts in other areas keep failing? Give careful thought, he says in verse 7. And this time he puts it re- directly. He goes on in verse 8 and he challenged them. You get up to the hills and you get some more wood. Not to come down and build some you know, extra panels on the house. Not to kind of get the patio finished, that you know, the extension we were hoping to put on. No, 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 no. Bring down the wood for God's pleasure and God's honour. You know, in verse 9, uh, what's been implied the whole way as to why there's no joy for them, no satisfaction in their work is, is just made explicit. Verse 9, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. The sense of busyness there literally is each of you is running to your own house. A more visual way it was originally put. It's not just that they're, they're you know, busy with, it's the idea that they're running, it's their passion. They run towards what they really love. They're busy doing what they want. You know, no, it's not time to worry about building the Lord's house, you know, the Lord's pleasure, the Lord's honour. You know, it's not because they lack passion, it's just they're not passionate for God. They're passionate for themselves. They're running to their own house. And because of that, in verse 10 and 11, God has withheld their, their blessing. God has given them drought. God has cursed their endeavour in the hope that they might learn, in the hope their priorities might be challenged and changed. Uh, at the working bee yesterday, I was um, had the great responsibility of weeding the front garden. Uh, and there were some fundraisers from the uh, UNHCR who uh, were outside They'd set up their table looking for people to support. You may have noticed them if you're a Curability local. They're often out the front of our church. Uh, they're looking for, for help. Uh, they're trying to grab people passing by, tell them of the situation and the plight of millions of refugees around the world. Uh, in the, I was there for about I don't know over an hour, about eighty minutes. Um, streams of people went past, uh, and I was able to watch. That's the beauty of weeding it. You know, it's not that demanding. Um, the variety of ways in which people managed to ignore the UNHCR was, was kind of amusing after a while if it wasn't so serious, you know. There were, you know, the relaxed Saturday morning strollers suddenly became intensely focused on just needing to stare straight ahead because, you know, perhaps they might fall over and they better not make eye contact with those people just there so that, you know, just hold the coffee and just walk ahead. And then there were the people who were a little more blunt and kind of, as they went to speak, they just raised their hand and just to silence, uh, you know, just don't talk to me. Um, I saw some people actually go out onto the road to get, you know, out in between the cars, just to make sure they weren't too close that they could have been spoken to by these people. Uh, and, you know, in 80 minutes or so, I think I was there weeding and watching, uh, three people stopped. Only three people, I've no idea how many, you know, 100 walked past. Uh, three people stopped. Now, I don't raise it to stand in judgment over all those who walked past, because, you know, I've been that person too. You know, I've walked past those people and gone and gone, I'm just a little bit... You know, I heard one guy explicitly say, yeah, I'm just too busy, as he wandered to the coffee shop. But I couldn't help thinking just how easy it is to be consumed with running after our own concerns and block out the needs of others. You know, and if we're, we're so adept at ignoring people who are standing there trying to engage that, trying, how much easier is it for us to be distracted from the Lord's priorities when he hasn't set up a table at the front of our place? Now, the issue in Haggai's time is not that these people are grossly terrible, bad, sinful people. It's not that. The Lord doesn't have this list of charges against his people in Haggai 1. He's not saying, I'm bringing judgment on you because you're a murderous, unjust bunch of people who steal. No, no it's not that kind of thing. You know, other prophets pick up the people that points for that. Uh, and it's not that they, they lack skill or passion. You know, it's not that they're being asked to do something beyond their means. They've managed to panel their own houses. The reason that their failure of verse 6 and 7 is surprising is that, well, they actually know how to work. They're doing the things that should produce good results. It's simply they don't have a passion for God. They're preoccupied with their own interests. It's awfully like that rich young ruler who went to Jesus in Mark 10 that we read of, isn't it? You know, he went away a skilled man, a good man. He kept all the commands from a child and yet he went away sad because when his priorities were challenged, he wouldn't change. You know, they are distracted and they don't prioritise the Lord's work. And suddenly, yes, it's two and a half thousand years old, but doesn't it feel awfully modern? Um, yeah, it's true that the, the situation of building the temple has changed. You know, Jesus came and he's changed completely what it is to build the house. We, we mustn't ever go back to Jerusalem with our little, you know, with our, our toolkit uh, trying to rebuild on Mount Zion because that's been superseded forever. That's not anymore where we go to meet God. Uh, God doesn't dwell in Zion anymore. You read through the New Testament and we see Jesus himself is the temple. He is where we see the presence of God. He is where God and man meet. In John 2, Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And he's not talking about the building, he's talking about his body. And you read on in the New Testament and it's we Christians, we people who are united to Jesus by faith, we have his spirit dwelling in us. We are now the temple, we are his house now, not this building, but we the people. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 explains how God's household is the church of the living God, foundation and pillar of the truth. Uh, in, in 1 Peter 2 5, it speaks of the Christian community as you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. That is, yes the coming of Jesus has radically changed what, it, what the call is to build his house. You know, we, we don't need a trowel. We don't need to be in Jerusalem. We build his house now by speaking the truth of Christ to all. We build his house by inviting those who don't believe to trust and serve him. We build his house by encouraging fellow Christians to just keep imitating Christ. We build his house as each one of us grows closer to our Saviour as we, we read his word and we prayerfully live it out. You know There are changes, yes, but still Haggai feels terribly modern with his challenge, don't be distracted from the Lord's work, but prioritise building that house. A few years ago, uh, Mike Zigarelli, an American uh, church leader, surveyed over 20,000 Christians uh, and he found what he described as an epidemic of busyness. Uh, Of the 752 church leaders he surveyed, he asked a specific question. um, The busyness of life gets in the way of my relationship with God, you know, how often? Of these church leaders, 39% of them answered almost always. And he concludes that, well, if... The leaders are too busy that it affects badly their relationship with God. It doesn't bode well for those in their spiritual care, does it? Yeah, and perhaps you feel that way today. Perhaps you're thinking, yeah, it would be nice to do a little more to build God's house, but work is particularly precarious at the moment. And when that's sorted, then you'll have a little time to share the gospel with some other people. Yeah, or, or that, you know, the children are in a particularly demanding stage, and ugh, when they're older, uh, that'll be great. I'll be free to study the Bible with others then. You know, all the mortgages don't pay themselves and, and when it's paid for you'll have cash freed up that you can actually start being generous to the needy and the poor and, and, and uh, support missions. And, you know, this TV show is, you know, it's particularly gripping, this series. I really can't miss an episode. But when that series is over and I don't get sucked into the next reality TV show, well then I'll crack open the Bible and I'll read it. Because yeah, life these days is particularly demanding. Yeah, but you read Haggai and you realise it's not a new phenomenon. We must give careful thought to our ways and priorities because it is time to build the Lord's house. Four considerations particularly I want you to reflect on as you leave. First, I want you to consider the cost. Haggai's call to the the remnant was costly. In verse 8, the call to head up to the hills for wood is this kind of uh, it's a self-conscious echo of what King Solomon, the original temple, temple builder, did. But he conscripted labor. Haggai's looking for volunteers. Yeah, it is a lot of effort to, to, for them to, to put down their own fields and worry about the Lord's house being built. It was genuinely costly, and it still is costly. You know, the love of God and neighbor will never be convenient. You know, and Jesus promises, we read in Mark 10, that it would cost. It may cost us our family and possessions. It may be persecutions, but, but we can't be good by proxy. There is no such thing as vicarious Christianity, the other people doing it on our behalf. Um, many of us, I know, are at the moment reading J.C. Ryle's excellent book, Holiness. If you haven't got a copy, you must. Uh, pick one up, start reading it. He points out that true Christianity will cost you your self-righteousness. It will cost you your favourite vices and sins. It will cost you your love of ease. It will cost you your favour with the people of the world. But Christianity that costs nothing is worth nothing. A man I know chose a job he was vastly over-skilled for uh, so that he had more time to invest in teaching teenagers the gospel. The Lord's house will not be built without cost. And this morning, give careful thought to what it will cost you. You Do less, live more simply. Prioritise building the Lord's house. Secondly, consider the benefits. While ever his people sideline building the Lord's house, they will be frustrated. Eating without satisfaction, earning wages fall through the wallet. The the implication of Haggai 1 is that if they shift their priorities, then blessings and benefits would flow. Again, paraphrasing Jesus' words to those who will put him first, he will receive in this present age a hundred times what they've lost and in life to come, eternal life. That is, the benefit is is not just a simplistic shortcut to a life of luxury. You know, with it, Jesus promises persecution. Many of the benefits are spiritual, but there are real physical blessings too. The believer who is rejected by their family gains a a church full of brothers and sisters. In the 17th century, uh, a pastor named Philip Henry wrote this. I take you all to record that a life spent in the service of Christ is the happiest life a man can spend upon earth. When you put that in the context of this man's life, he was a man who lived through the English Civil War. Uh, When he was 32 years of old with a family to support, uh, his particular Christian convictions cost him his house and his livelihood. Uh, He did some time in prison uh, with fears that he was an insurrectionist because of his beliefs. Uh, It cost, but he understood the benefit. His words again, I take you all to record, a life spent in the service of Christ is the happiest life a man can spend on earth. I want you to give careful thought this morning to the benefits and be encouraged. Thirdly, consider the goal. Give careful consideration to it. Haggai's not detailing and he's careful not to detail the, 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 the blessings that flow is the reason for changing your priorities because that's not the goal. If you look at verse 8, the Lord's house should be built for his pleasure and glory. You know, in part, the, the Lord's pleasure is that you know, getting to remove the curse from his people, he delights in doing good. But, but even more, a completed house will actually allow for people to give God the praise he is due as maker and saviour. You know, that's the great Copernican revolution of the Bible, isn't it? That we revolve around God, not that he revolves around us. And hard as it is perhaps to accept, no matter how great we are, we exist for Christ's fame. That's the goal. Uh, John Calvin dedicated his uh, magnum opus, the the Institutes of Christian Religion, to the King of France. And he wrote a little special message to the King of France, who had had him exiled, uh, at the start of the book. Uh, In the introduction, he wrote to the king... This consideration makes a true king. Okay, So this is what makes a great king. To recognise himself a minister of God or a servant of God in governing his kingdom. Yet Calvin understood that one of the most powerful humans in his lifetime would only be truly great if he stopped living for himself and used all his power for the service of Christ. Yeah, because it's only in, in owning that goal of God's glory do to be, to we become what we were designed for. Tozer put it, The purpose of God sending his Son was that he might restore to us the missing jewel, the jewel of worship, that we might come back and learn what we were created to do in the first place, to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and spend our time in awesome wonder and adoration of God, feeling and expressing it, letting it get into our labours and doing nothing except as an act of worship to Almighty God through his Son, Jesus. Haggai invites us, yes, consider the cost this morning. Yes, consider the benefit, but even more, consider the goal. As you, he invites us, as, as, you, as you think about all your plans and passions, if, if you were to succeed with every one of your plans and passions, let me ask you, who would look good? You or the Lord? Give careful thought to the goal. And finally, consider the help. Haggai comforts the remnant who obeys God. In verse 13, I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. They're not offhanded words. They're words that had a certain cachet. Um, They are words that God had said to Moses in Exodus 3, and he'd said it to Gideon, and he'd said it to Jeremiah, and he said it to King David. They are words saying, when I've set a task to people he's set a particular task to, I've comfort that my power and presence will be with you, strengthening you to do that. To hear God say, I am with you, is part of that grand legacy. And so in verse 14, his presence stirs them up into action. You know, consider that help. You know, when Jesus was ascending into heaven in Matthew 28, just as he, he commissioned people to go, and as they go, call other people to follow, make disciples of all nations, anyone you come across, teach them to obey. Well, He said these words, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, it is not an easy task to build the Lord's house, but praise God, we are not doing it alone consider the help we have christ indwelling us by his spirit give careful thought to it and take heart so this morning i know that we've all come and we've had busy weeks and busy weekends but here is our opportunity to stop and step out of that and consider our ways and give careful thought and i want us leaving today clear clear that the time is now for building the lord's house but will we consider it and change our ways let's pray Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the great task that you have set before us, to not just be concerned for ourselves, but be concerned for you, for your glory and your fame. And we pray that you would help us to be careful and wise as we consider our ways, our passions, our plans and priorities, and that we would not be so consumed into running after our own concerns, but that we would be delighted to build your house, to invite others to know you, to draw them in that ultimately you might have the fame and glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.